This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Good afternoon, listeners. This is Erin Jones, and you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions Show. Um, We've got a show today which focuses on New Zealand and climate action that is happening there. So we look forward to going through some of the things that are happening there. And I'll have some announcements a little bit later in the show around um, some BZE activities and other climate actions that you can get involved in. But for now, um, we'll get on with the first part of our interview focused on New Zealand and climate issues and actions that are happening there. Uh, Listeners, today on the line we've got Paul Young, and Paul is the co-founder of Generation Zero and also currently is a researcher with the Morgan Foundation. And these are um, both from New Zealand. As you know, our focus today on the show is... In um, around New Zealand, um, we're going to paint a picture of what climate action's looking like in New Zealand, what the energy mix is, and um, what the current emissions are, and, and a few other things. So, welcome, Paul. We're glad to chat with you today. Yeah, hi, Erin. Thanks. My pleasure to be here. Great. Well, it's really good to have you on the Beyond Zero Emissions Radio Show. We appreciate your time. So, can we just start by maybe? Um, painting a picture of, um, for our listeners that may not be that familiar with what's going on in the climate space in New Zealand, of kind of what does the breakdown of um, emissions look like in New Zealand in terms of um, per capita and what sectors are the other major contributors? Sure. Yeah, so New Zealand st- sticks out a bit among the developed countries due to a high proportion of agricultural emissions. Um, we've got a profile it's often said we've got a profile a bit more like a developing country, but the, I like to think of it more like we've got a we've got the CO2 profile of a European country, the average European country, plus we've got a, a whole lot of agriculture added on top of that. Um, so on per capita CO2, yeah, we're roughly around the E, we're actually slightly above the EU average. Um, on and and then on when you add in the agricultural emissions um, and, and CO2 equivalent terms, we're about fifth highest in the um, OECD on, on per capita emissions. Um, I think Australia comes in comes in first now, but New Zealand's are on about 18 tonnes per person. Um, so yeah, the profile is roughly uh, 50-50 between agricultural emissions, most of which is, is methane from from ruminant livestock, mm-hmm. um, and then the other half being energy and industry, um, of which transport is quite dominant in New Zealand. We're, we're relatively uh, low on electricity-related emissions, um, thanks in large part to hydropower, which makes up about 55 60% of our, of our electricity mix. Um, we've got geothermal making up about 15%, and then um, wind making up about five and, and solar's sort of, you know, growing from a very small base too. So so we've just recently, I think in the last year, hit 85% renewable. Um, and yeah, that's 
that's uh, you know, that's one, pretty one good. It's certainly a lot a lot better than um, what we're looking at here in terms of a. So from an energy mix, that's quite good. And then the remaining, let's say, you know, fifteen to twenty percent, which is non-renewable. What's the makeup of that currently? So we've got one uh, coal station left running, the Huntley Coal Station in um, uh, yeah in Huntley, in which Island. is in, in the Waikato region. Yeah. And uh, that's, yeah, there's um, sort of the, the, it was the, the company that owns that announced last year or possibly the year before that they were planning to close it mm. um, in 2022, I think. But since then, uh, yeah, because of concerns around sort of security of supply in a dry year, the, the electricity companies have kind of um, been in discussions about keeping it open longer. So, so there's a bit of a, uh, so there was a bit of a reversal there. Um, so we're not, we're not sure at what stage when that will eventually shut down. Um, but that's, yeah, uh, that uh, is less than 5% of the electricity generation um, right. and, and the rest is, is gas. And uh, yeah, a lot of it is is to supply. You know, it's higher in the peaks um, because yeah, hydro and um, and wind together provide a pretty good base load in New Zealand. And so, tell us a little bit about the history of that hydro, because it's um, you know certainly represents a pretty high portion of um, energy production. Yeah, um, it's so it goes back. Uh, you know, it's, I think sort of 50s and 60s was when there was a, a lot of it was built, um, or um, some of it a little bit later too. All of it uh, done under the under the Public Works Act at, at the time, which was so there were very large scale project projects. And this is in sort know, of this post-war the, period, which well, now we have this uh, a law, the Resource Management Act, where you know everything has to go through quite a lengthy consenting process. This was long before that, so. Um, there was, yeah, there were, these are um, big um, man-made lakes associated with these schemes, and um, yeah, mostly in the South Island. So okay. uh, it's a bit like the UK, where a lot of their, you know, power consumptions in the in the south, but a lot of it's generated up north. We're sort of the inverse mm. of that. So yeah. um, there's, in net terms, there's quite a lot of. Uh, the South Island would be 100% renewable. Actually, um, it's it's more than um, 100% renewable, and it and it gets exported up north. Yeah, right. Because um, I imagine most people would would know, but the um, biggest city in New Zealand is is Auckland, and uh, that's mm. where probably what around a, what a third of the population in the Greater Auckland area would that be a reasonable? That's right. Assumption, yeah. 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 Um, so I suppose that's where a lot of the you know heavy industry is, and many of the um, going mm-hmm. forward then, if New Zealand's looking to, when we'll talk a bit later about the um, Zero Carbon Act, but looking. Presume towards getting towards 100%. Where do you think that will pick up more geothermal, more wind, rooftop solar? What's what's your feeling about that? Yeah, hydro has a limited role to play in in terms of future um, additions to to the generation mix. Uh, there's, there are some more small scale um, schemes that you know that are, that have consents, I think. But yeah, uh, wind and geothermal are, are where. Um, the largest potential lies. Um, I mean, solar. Yeah, it's an interesting debate around solar in New Zealand. Mm. So, um, because we're quite poorly, poorly matched with in terms of the um, you know the demand curve compared to a, a, a sun, 
very sunny uh, and cooling dominated demand profile like Australia we're kind of the opposite so but uh, but I had you know no solar is definitely on the rise and it will continue to so that's a bit of the wild card but in terms of if, if you look at the cost of generation um, currently you know uh, it'd be it's geothermal and then wind and there's huge potential for wind that we've only just begun to tap yeah because I would have um, thought that mix would have been more than five percent that um Seems, you know, there's, there's yeah. a huge lot of potential there, isn't there? There's a lot of upside to it, I suppose, is the short story with wind there. Oh, yeah, there's there's enormous. So if, you know, I think in, in the in a future where we have a lot of, um, you know, transport and other, other, um, well, other uses of fossil fuels like heat and in, in industry um, being electrified and mm. we have, you know, significant growth in the, in the electricity um, demand, then I would expect wind to be picking up a lot of that. Uh, and, you know, geothermal has some emissions associated with it too. Okay. So uh, fugitive emissions, they're called. Right, so the, yep. the um, dissolved CO2 and a bit of methane that escapes from the brine that comes up. Right. So um, wind is, you know, wind's a better option than geothermal on emissions. So, uh, yeah. Um, hope you know that that would be what I want to see is as uh, a lot the majority of the future um, electricity generation growth coming from wind. Yeah, and because we've got you know with the the hydro um, base, we you know the intermittency is is um, quite manageable really, um, especially if we can flatten out the the load throughout the day a bit, which you know um, electric vehicles charging overnight will mm. will help do. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's been a lot of um, discussion here, as there has been all over the world, but particularly with some of the things that are going on in South Australia at the moment, and the buzz around storage and the, you know, the the big um, battery development that's going on from Tesla and in collaboration with the South Australian government. Where are things like storage and EVs and that whole transition to electrification of much more of the transport fleet and you know, I, th- I think a lot of people have been, you know, maybe haven't foreseen the the, the, the kind of mixture of that whole um, eco cycle of what can happen with, you know, solar on rooftops, cars, electrified cars, and the power they take, but also kind of that cycle of um, using electric vehicles to actually kind of plug some of those um, supply times when. It can be kind of smart. Um, I've seen quite a few examples in the UK of of um, smart charging systems in homes where, you know, at peak times, the um, car can provide power into the grid as opposed to just drawing it out and then when, mm-hmm. when demand drops off. So where's the discussion in mm-hmm. New Zealand around that and, and EV take-up? Yeah, uh, I guess just to start with EV take-up, um there's a lot of discussion on that, uh, uh, especially has really taken off in the last couple of years, and the, and the government uh, sort of got got with the program and and um, put in place some incentives, um, relatively modest incentives compared to what most countries have, um, but but some incentives anyway. And so electric vehicles have have um, uh, yeah started to you know take off on an exponential growth curve um i think the market share last year was was only around half a percent so it's still quite 
it's, it's well behind some of the leading um, countries, but it, it is growing fast now. So, yeah, uh, I think I saw a figure that there was, yeah, two and a half, well, 2,535 uh, electric vehicles were registered in New Zealand at the end of 2016. Um, and I actually interviewed um, uh, the secretary of the EV Association over here. It's going back a few months now. Um, and we were discussing mm. some of the things that were going on in New Zealand because one of the things in terms of affordability is that New Zealand does have um, a lot of second-hand Japanese imports. So things like yep. Nissan Leafs, and, and that was one of the conversations that um, I was having with him that he was saying would really help um, that affordability angle for people making that transition to electric vehicles. Um, which I know, you know, I don't know if that was one of the things that you were alluding to, but um, has the government still got those incentives in, in place or what, what, what are the other kind of elements that they're trying to use to encourage that transition? Yeah, so so unfortunately the, the, they didn't want to put in an, an upfront um, price incentive, mm-hmm. uh, which is really the big gap. Um, we, what they do have is, is an exemption on road user charges, which is guaranteed until about uh, until 2021, right. and that works out to about five six hundred dollars a year. So it does add up, but it doesn't. The thing is, it doesn't. Um, it's not as attractive as as an upfront rebate, like you know, which is so common in you know Lots throughout of northern Scandinavian and, countries and yeah. Yeah, and and you know U.S. states and, Ca- and Canadian states as well. So mm. um, that disappoints me. That um, I think it's a, an effective, you know, if they just took the same amount of money and put it um, mm. rather than having it as a road user charge exemption over several years, put it into an upfront rebate. It yeah, would be right. more effective. Um, the other incentives are just <clears throat> uh, more. Um, yeah, they, they've they've made it. Uh, given councils the ability to allow electric vehicles in in bus lanes and things, which okay. there's a bit of you know, um, I, I and a lot of other people don't think that's such a such a great idea. It's something that Norway did, but they're now kind of um, because they've got so many electric vehicles, they're mm-hmm. having to rein it in. Yeah, um, yeah. So re- relatively modest, and there are still a few. Another thing that that wasn't done that that many um, people in the industry thought would be really important is to is to look at the fringe benefit tax mm-hmm. system um to because for a lot of the new vehicles bought in new zealand are uh, um, commercial fleets mm-hmm. and at the moment um yeah they because of the, the higher upfront cost um which they have to pay a fringe benefit tax on it's a bit of a disincentive so if that could sort of be Equalised to you know at, at least so that uh, the fringe benefit tax on on an electric vehicle was similar to a a, a similar model um, of a, you know a conventional vehicle mm-hmm. um, things like that yeah they're, they're just they haven't been acted on yet so um, there's certainly more incentives that uh, could be put in place. Feeling shortchanged by all the doom and gloom of climate change and want to help. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. At VZE, we have a blueprint to help Australia become a thriving zero emissions economy, but we are dependent on public donations, so we need your help. 
To donate or find out more information, head to bze.org.au. That's bze.org.au.
That was uh, some music there, Tex Perkins, and I can't say no. You're listening to 3CR and the Beyond Zero Emissions Show. Today we're focused on climate action in New Zealand. And um, I spoke earlier today to Paul Young, who's the co-founder of Generation Zero. So let's continue to hear what Paul's got to say. And what about batteries on a domestic scale? That You know, there's kind of been starting to be, um, you know, quite a take-up of um, battery technology, certainly in domestic applications, and it's kind of a natural progression for lots of home owners who um, have had solar maybe for a number of years and, and may or may not be either having or aspiring to have an electric vehicle. Storage is, kind of makes up that, that triangle. Where is um, kind of battery availability or, or is, is there kind of what's the feeling around that in New Zealand? It's it's very niche at the moment, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Most people who have solar don't don't have a battery, mm-hmm. um, but there are. I mean, some of the lines companies here are, are offering deals with you know to install um, solar and batteries, or possibly just batteries too. So yeah, the thing is, you know, just in the New Zealand context with we've already got an enormous um, battery in the hydro system. Mm, yeah. um, so it's probably less important from an emissions perspective than it is in a country like Australia. Um, but I think we will see, we still, yeah, we, there's a bit of uptake and I think, and I think it will grow as the prices come down. Yeah. Um, one thing that there's quite a lot of debate around is the pricing structure in the electricity system, because mm-hmm. at the moment um, we, I don't know how similar this is to how it, how the the market works in Australia, but there isn't. Um, most people pay pay a relatively flat rate throughout the day, mm-hmm. so they're not really incentivized to feed, store feed electricity okay. at the peaks and feed in overnight. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's um, the the economic signals there should be stronger if we had more cost reflective pricing. So that's mm-hmm. something that is um, you know being slowly worked on by um, some government agencies and and things and that would make quite a difference to uh, it, it would mean you know for people who do have batteries that the the signals would be aligned with the national interest as well in terms of storing um, power at the at the um, peaks and and then um, feeding it back in um, sorry the other way um, storing power um, at the at the low times and feeding it back in at the peaks yeah. Yeah, no, I just I just wondered that because um, uh, obviously I'm from New Zealand as well, and a lot of my relatives kind of have have great um, frustration with, with the amount that they're paying in electricity bills, and certainly it seems to be mm. quite a lot more than um, 
than even though electricity bills have gone up enormously in Australia, um, I still think they're probably lesser than they are in New Zealand, which kind of when you look at how much hydro and renewable energy there is in the system, um, it's it just kind of I think where is all the um, and I, I believe that this electricity system in New Zealand's been privatised, um, but you just kind of think, well, why are these bills so enormous? Yeah, and there's a lot of debate. It's going to be a about huge that. discussion. <laughs> there that's is, just why I, mean, I think batteries. You know, batteries because then people, um, yes, the you know, the solar may not be as good, but I mean, look. Solar's efficient. Solar works in Germany. Um, I mean, it, you know, New Zealand yeah. still gets a probably better sunshine than Germany. I would imagine. Um, yeah, and yeah. with that kind of uh, combination with batteries for people to, that's been one of the big, I think, incentives for people is just feeling in control of of their power costs and their energy costs. Yeah. Um, so I thought that that would probably be quite an incentive for for consumers in New Zealand. Definitely. I mean, the the solar uptake so far, you know, a lot of it um, is best explained by that more, you know, um, the sort of the psychological um, dimension to it, I guess, or, or wanting to wanting to uh, be less reliant on the big power companies. And um, yeah, for, for people, you know, uh, most people, like I said, are still grid connected, yeah. um, the vast majority, but, but a few probably would really like to get off entirely. So um, I, you know, I think stepping back from a national perspective, that doesn't it doesn't make the most sense from a from a national perspective because um, you know it's uh, if if that happened large scale, we've kind of um, there's probably you know a lot more investment going into that than than there needs to be um, if we were to optimize the use of our um, existing electricity assets and and things but i think you're right i mean there's some big equity issues around electricity pricing and some big questions really about why they have they've sort of flattened off in the last few years but they rose rapidly Mm. prior to that and and they are now yeah whereas previously um we had several completely state-owned electricity companies they're now um there are some private ones and and the rest are all partially privately owned so a lot of the profit now is not going into the government's coffers it's going into you know um Mm. into private uh profit and so uh yeah yeah i think i think that's a big factor behind that that you know that will drive people towards solar even and and it's important that the industry um you know deals with that yeah exactly and i I don't think any country is going to be immune from that as more and more people and look most people that are either aspiring aspiring to or have already implemented um you know batteries on site aren't necessarily going to abandon the grid um but what Mm. is happening and i'm sure this is something that you know new zealand will be grappling with as well is kind of that you know that seemingly death spiral for for retailers and producers as more and more homes actually become what you know the term prosumers so they're they're providers and consumers um and can actually get to a point where they're kind of neutralizing their energy use completely um and i mean you know obviously Mm. there was pretty pretty sizable, well, reasonably sizable incentives to get people to go to solar um, with large feed-in tariffs. Now, in most states, those have dropped away. Some have 
put them back in place. Um, mm-hmm. And there's been, you know, a, a bit of um, politics around that. But um, and this is where you know power prices have started to, um, or the breakdown of people's bills has started to change, and the fact that there's now kind of these set fees which aren't based on usage but just a connection, um, and that may be the way because. Uh, you know, it's starting to be a fairly precarious business model when you project forward the amount of homes that have solar and that, you know, you know the thought that is they'll probably, you know, go to batteries as well. So, um, you know, it's something that energy policy at that government level need to grapple with, but um, I don't think that the, the most desirable outcome is for everyone to go off the grid because, you know, there's big industrial mm. users that still, we you know, as a... You know, both nations, you still kind of need that security that a, a broad-scale grid gives you. Um, yeah. But it, but it is becoming more decentralised and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the new gen- generation will be much more decentralised and I'm sure that'll probably be the case more so in New Zealand as well. So... 3CR is actively advocating for equality in the lead-up to the National Postal Survey on same-sex marriage. As such, we will not give airtime to the No campaign on the basis that it is prejudiced, homophobic and harmful to LGBTIQ people and our families. Our community may hold different views on marriage as an institution, yet we agree this postal survey is a political stunt designed to appease prejudiced and homophobic views. 3CR will continue to advocate for equality in all areas. At this particular time in our political climate, we need to ensure that our members, friends and colleagues know that 3CR is a safe space for all our community. For sure, yeah. Get on to um, talking a little bit about um, Generation Zero and the work that um, that organisation has done um, and getting on to talking about the Zero Carbon Act. But before that, can you just give us a bit of a description of what Generation Zero is and and how they um, came about? Yeah, sure. So uh, Generation Zero started back in 2011 and and the group of us that formed it uh, had been um, part of a, de- a youth delegation to the 2010 um, UN climate conference which was in Cancun in Mexico that year mm-hmm. um, so I guess yeah that from that ex- that experience um, where you know we, we really bonded as a team and uh, we also met uh, young people from all around the world who most of in most countries there was sort of, sort of a youth climate change organization of some kind I know in Australia you have the Australian youth climate coalition yeah um, and there was nothing like that in New Zealand no sort of enduring um, voice for young people on climate change issues in New Zealand mm-hmm. uh, so that was you know we, we were really inspired to to start um, something like that because we thought it's um yeah, it's such an important um, voice in the in the debate on climate change. So, um, we started off from yeah from very uh, humble beginnings, just you know very grassroots. Um, I mean, and um, it's kind of yeah grown from there and to to having a presence in sort of all, all the 
um, main centres in, in New Zealand, and it's an all voluntary. Mm -hmm. uh, but but we uh, work both on um, trying to influence the the national policy debate, and and uh, that's been uh, tough yakka over the, over the last few years with with the government that we've had. But also at the local level. Um, trying to influence council decisions, particularly around transport infrastructure and, and urban form. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Auckland's been really one of the hot spots for that. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit about about what we're about and what we do. I, I guess the name, you know, similar to Beyond Zero Emissions, um, the name Generation Zero comes from the, the idea that we need to get to zero uh, emissions within, you know, within our, our generation's life, like our working life, really, yeah. um, by around... 2050. So that's always been a, a goal, um, a, sort of the visionary goal that we're working towards right. for New Zealand. Uh -huh. And so I see you've got, um, you know, the campaigns are based kind of in geographical locations and then you've got the Zero Carbon Act, which is a overriding kind of policy. So, so you mentioned it there in Auckland talking about some um, transport and can you just talk us through some of the campaigns and, and the different cities that you are working on? And and um, yeah. you've mainly got a volunteer um, membership base. What sort of actions is that involved? Is that policy development or direct action or how does the organisation mm. function? Sure. So starting with the, the um, sort of issues and projects that we've, <clears throat> that we've worked on, um, in Auckland some of the big ones have been uh, the unitary plan, which um, sounds incredibly boring and kind of is incredibly boring, but um, very important. This is because Auckland recently, uh, I think in 2010, became a super city and they, they sort of centralised, um, they changed the governance structure for the city basically and merged and centralised a lot of it. And this is the first, the unitary plan is effectively the district plan. So right. it's going to determine the shape, how the city grows over the next 30 years. And so there was a, a multi-year campaign on that to push for um, a more compact, um, you know, low-carbon um, urban form. So more housing um, within the city limits and, you know, more um, mixed, uh, sort of, yeah, higher density housing rather than sprawl because it's a, if anyone's been to Auckland, they'll know it's a pretty sprawling city already. Um, thing, projects like the City Rail Link, which is currently under construction, in Auckland, um, and only really that uh, we sort of joined, you know, that was something that was already happening um, that Generation Zero got in behind, and that's uh, basically a very important um, rail project in Auckland that unlocks a bit of a dead end in the city centre and, and doubles the capacity of the whole rail network okay. um, citywide. So, yeah, those are some of the big, I guess, the, the bigger campaigns that we've been, been a part of. Uh, and then, you know, there's some very localised stuff too, just like cycleways and, and um, uh, in communities in, in Dunedin, Christchurch and Wellington. Mm -hmm. mm. And so how are those um, identified as, as, you know, obviously you've got limited resources and people have got, um, is, it, is it kind of people passionate about something and kind of bring it to the table and a, and a campaign is developed around that or how does <clears> the, that operate? Yeah, largely. It's very so we we essentially have you know these sort of regional chapters um, that operate relatively autonomously within this you know this vision and general strategy of um, uh, 
well, general focus around um, trans at, at the local level transport uh, issues as being kind of the most important because that's where the local councils have a lot of control, mm. um, although there's still certainly a central government um, element. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a big part of New Zealand's emissions profile, as we said. So, uh, yeah, yeah, the local teams really, you know, they, yeah, it is about what they um, – the opportunities that, that they see and also what they're passionate about about working on mm-hmm. um and in terms of your question about what kind of campaigning generation zero does it's it's um yeah a, a lot of it is really you know been about engaging in the directly in the civic processes um which has been effective at the local level less so at the national level um so making submissions, you know, doing – in Auckland, we teamed up with a really great um, sort of transport think tank called Greater Auckland, and they really provided the inter- intellectual grunt behind the um, the things that Generation Zero has been pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so some quite detailed policy work, um, you know, really – um, strong, quite strong evidence base, and then uh, you know, really mobilising people to take part in the formal processes, uh, and also you know a bit of um, definitely a bit a bit of uh, broad, you know broader ways of putting um, putting pressure on decision makers to to um, you know to make the right calls, um, phone you know phoning and emailing campaigns and um, yeah and you know public meetings and that sort of thing as well. Okay, great. Listeners, we're chatting today um, focused on what's going on in New Zealand. We're speaking with Paul Young, and he is the co-founder of Generation Zero, which we've just been in a bit of chat of a chat about how they work, and is also a researcher for the Morgan Foundation. And you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show on 3CR, 855 AM in Melbourne. So I see on the website, Paul, that... Looks like you've had um, quite a lot of people, maybe young and, and not so young, um, get involved with um, Generation Zero. I think I saw a figure of around 34,000-odd. Um, is that kind of reflective of the number of people that are actively involved, or was that specifically around a particular targeted um, strategy or campaign that you were running? I'm just... So that, that kind of aggregates everyone who's who's uh, participated in, in any of our campaigns. Uh, that for most of them, that participation's you know probably um, uh, just signing a petition or, or taking some online action like that. Um, so the the actual core of people really driving things is is, is much smaller. You know, there's there's you know probably around um, there's sort of a core core team around of volunteers around the country. Of, of maybe um, 30 odds right around who, who you know put quite a lot of hours in uh, and then and then a you know slightly bigger group um, of people who who will uh, sort of dip in you know, and out vol- of campaigns events. as they have the time Def- and... yeah definitely yeah, yeah. definitely it's and um, you know um, young people can be a bit uh, <laughs> um, you know, come and come and go as, as yeah, it's um, a transient the, the study time. studies allow and things, and they move around a lot. So, yeah, yeah. So there's been quite, there's quite a lot of churn, but um, yeah. So it's probably you know what's the general kind of um, I mean, look, we've had a very divided uh, 
political space around this, and it's interesting you're talking mm. about some of the actions and campaigns were um, at that kind of local or regional government level, because certainly what we're finding here is that at the federal or Commonwealth level, um, there seems to be you know a political impasse um, and nothing's really happening. And really, it's at the state and local government level here in Australia, which I think you could also say the mm. same in America. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where the action is happening. You know, that's where you know we've got local governments building solar farms. We've got policies going into place. We've got targets of of um, you know emissions reduction and um, energy generation. They're coming out of that kind of um, local and state government level, and mm. and we really we've just you know since the whole um, uh, repeal of carbon tax and and everything like that, there's not action there. How does that reflect for New Zealand? What is where is the action at? And and from a political point of view, and we'll get on to talking shortly because obviously. Um, for our listeners that may not know, the general election happened in New Zealand on Saturday, um, and we'll talk a little bit with Paul around. Um, well, I was going to say the results, but we maybe the potential results because it's a little bit mm. of a different system in New Zealand, and we'll, we'll talk a bit in detail. But if we just can talk first about you know where that action is happening, and you know is, is that more at local level, and what are the attitudes towards that from local to say the. Um, well, I was going to say the national government. I don't mean the national party, but the um, yeah central central, central government. government yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's certainly been much more potential and appetite for for change within local councils in, in the last well since Generation Zero's been set up um, than yeah. than at the central government level. Um, you know, we've had sort of progressive leaders in most of the main centres and, um, yeah, and generally progressive councils. Um, so within the constraints of what they can do and, you know, uh, on transport, the, the national funding, the central government still has a lot of power over where the funding goes um, for transport, but then um, the local governments, you know, make a lot of the, the decisions. So, um yeah, that's that's why we've really probably uh, spent a lot of effort focused on that local level and over the the last few years because it has been possible to to get some some progress there. Uh, in most places, you know, it's it's been still tough going and, and slower than we would have liked. But um, there's definitely been yeah some major turnaround and and you know what Auckland's investing its transport dollars in and um, the kind of the yeah. The, Can you give us um, an example of, of something that does look like it's either you know in the process of changing or has changed in terms of yeah. um, some of that that um, transport type type thing? Yeah. Well, um, I mentioned the city rail link before, and that's really um, you know that's a hugely important project that when we started still had um, it was only uh, it's something that's been on the Auckland Council's agenda for a while, but they were really uh, struggling to get national government um, support for it because it needed to be co-funded um, mm-hmm. because it's quite a, you know, it's a multi-billion project. dollar project. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't have the, the budget to be able to, it, it needed, yeah, co-investment. Um, and the national government's been spending huge amounts of money in Auckland on, on motorways. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I gather it's sort of, yeah, similar to some debates that have happened in, in some Australian cities. Mm. Uh, so, 
build yeah, more so roads. That, that, yeah, yeah, more roads. And um, whereas you know public transport projects are and just um, have to fight for the scraps from the table basically. So yeah, so the city rail link was is really going to be a transformational project for Auckland's public transport system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's also um, uh, yeah, just the the we've campaigned around the the ten year um, plan for Auckland, the budget um, that was set for that, and, and you know the the balance of, of funding really moved a lot in the direction of public transport rather than rather than roads. Um, there's now a debate about uh, the the next pro- probably significant public transport project that Auckland's um, debating is. is uh, rail to the airport, whether that's light rail or heavy rail. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the next area where the, the central government has been um, sort of not wanting to put uh, money up and saying, oh, yeah, maybe by 2040, um, where, whereas the, local, uh, the Auckland Council is overwhelmingly wanting to get on with it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's uh, probably the, the next frontier for public transport campaigning in Auckland. Yeah, okay, great. Um. You're tuned to 3CR 855 on your end dial. If you just tuned in to 3CR why would you stay listening and listening a
Good afternoon, listeners. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show on 3CR. And we've been listening to our interview with Paul Young from Generation Zero, all about climate and energy policy in New Zealand. And we'll just go into the last segment of that. I spoke to Paul earlier today, and um, there's certainly a lot of activity in New Zealand with the general election happening on the weekend. And... um, the outcome of that still to be determined with the um, somewhat different makeup of the New Zealand Parliament. So we'll go into our last portion of interview with Paul, where we talk about that and uh, continue our general conversation. Zero Carbon Act, because that looks like it's been a fairly significant piece of work um, and lays out some, some key targets. So can you give us a description of what that piece of work is and the driving factors, the formulation, and, and what some of those you know key targets it represents? Sure, yeah. So, so the Zero Carbon Act, um, in some ways, is, is an idea that we've been pushing since we started. Um, it's really about having a, a comprehensive plan to get on track to zero carbon by 2050. Um, we... Uh, recognised that, you know, the what's really needed is a as an overarching um, fr- policy framework or, or law in order to address um, the, change the whole way that that climate policy is done in New Zealand. Because at the moment, there's it's it's in basically very you know siloed or ghettoised within the Ministry for the Environment, and um, there's complete, you know, there's, there's all these different um, agendas from different government departments and there's no policy coherence and no no real drive to actually decarbonise. So um, we basically uh, um, landed on this law in the U- that the UK passed called the Climate Change Act in 2008 mm-hmm. uh, as, as the, the, the really 
high-level solution that's needed. Um, and the the crux of how that works is that, yeah, it, it sets a long-term target in law and it creates a um, really robust process, planning process, so that what we're doing now is putting us um, on track towards that goal and the government is held to account to have a plan that actually adds up. Um, so the way that works is that they, they have to set these five-year carbon budgets, um, stretching out, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years into the future, and they have to be set consistently with the, the 2050 target. Um, and then they need to be able to produce a plan that shows how they're going to deliver on those. Um, and New Zealand currently, we really we don't have any kind of plan that the government can produce showing how we're going to meet the target that we've set under the Paris Agreement, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and so far, we've really just been buying our way out of of um, of the agreements that we've signed up to through uh, trading in, in foreign carbon credits rather than reducing emissions at home. Right. So. Yeah, that's basically the model, uh, and you know we think it would have a really transformational effect on the whole. Yeah, just the, the whole way that uh, New Zealand's actually dealing with climate change, and um, rather than you know fighting on sort of any one specific policy, it's that it's that overarching. Um, and presumably, change, by having change that, in the paradigm. Yeah, that needed. that plan in place, um, and a, and an action plan. That works towards that that target, um, with I suppose the hope that that will stand up through election cycles. Um, exactly. Yeah, that, that's a key thing too. Is that um, it's uh, it's it's a durable. Um, yeah, it, it does span across election cycles, and and it gives um, certainty to, to business then that that mm. you know they're gonna. Um, Need to invest, and if they do invest in low carbon um, solutions, then it's then it's going to pay off, and they're not going to have sort of the rug swept out from underneath them. Mm -hmm. um, that's been yeah, hugely important in the UK, and um, I guess one you know what that speaks to is the need for cross party um, backing for it. And that um, interestingly, I, I, you know, from the the research we did and the you know experts that we talked to, um, they. Uh, Australia was held up as a counterexample, actually, of um, where, how it can go wrong because there was – yeah, I understand there was a similar effort to set up a framework like this in Australia, but it just didn't um, – it wasn't fully done and then and then because of the lack of cross-party support for it, it hasn't really been effective. So, um, yeah, that's why we've been working really hard to – uh, to try and get all parties, at least all the major parties, backing the idea, um, because we, you know, we think that's important. That's critical, really, to its longevity and its success. Yeah, which is, you know, harking back to what we were talking about before. Why, um, you know, on one level, there has been so much work at a local and state level here because there hasn't been mm. that um, Commonwealth kind of agreement and from the major parties, so that's why, you know, the states have kind of stepped into that vacuum and are establishing their own targets and and taking, um, you know, some fairly encouraging action. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you talk about this, I'm just looking at the summary of the, um, the Act. So mm -hmm. the two baskets approach, can you just explain that to, to me, mm. to me and our, our listeners a little bit and what, what that means? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this, there, there were two sort of substantial changes that we suggested 
in terms of implementing this framework in New Zealand. Um, and it really comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning with our um, somewhat unique emissions profile. Mm. Um, but it's really picking up on... Um, and for our listeners that don't... Um, New Zealand is a... Uh, and I think most of our listeners will know this, but we'll just make it cl- a plain... Um, mm. as a proportionately a very large agricultural sector and, and as you were saying kind of is, is more um, or has, has a number of similarities more so with a developing nation in terms of such a such a big emphasis on the agricultural sector um, whereas I suppose you know people in Australia think of you know big outback stations and things like that but but actually you know something like um, 97% of the population and the energy-intensive industries in Australia are all in cities. It's one of the most urbanised mm. nations in the world, which which is not the, the perception generally. Um, mm. People think mm. those, you know, big open spaces, but the reality is it's a very urbanised. Whereas in New Zealand, um, you know, you've got the major cities, um, but then, you know, every... You know, 20 minutes in New Zealand, you'll come across a, a little country town and all the agriculture that's that's surrounding that. So it does make up a, um, certainly from an Australian perspective, a disproportionately larger um, amount of, of um, I suppose, GDP than certainly in Australia. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the agriculture sector in New Zealand is analogous probably to the to the, the coal um, mm. industry in, in Australia and in that it's... Um, it's yeah, it's a significant contributor. Uh, it's actually it's more a significant contributor contributor to exports than to GDP yeah. so much. Um, yeah. It's New Zealand's major export industry, mm. um, and it's very emissions intensive. So mm. um, we have some similar political dynamics around that as probably with with coal in Australia. Yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, the the two baskets um, approach it come is based on. Um, uh, a lot of science that's been that's been done, um, you know, in the last decade, uh, that is really looking at the um, the differences between short-lived greenhouse gases and long-lived greenhouse gases, um, and how they affect the climate. So, mm-hmm. the the conventional approach to greenhouse gas accounting um, that was adopted by you know world, world governments um, some time back is, is called. Uh, the, using the global warming potential um, as, a, as a metric for comparing the gases. And on that metric, you know, me, a tonne of methane is said to be equivalent to about 25 tonnes of CO2. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is that any metric doesn't capture the, this difference between um, the, in, in the, or the, the dynamics around the, the time. The lifespan. Uh, the time scale. Yeah, so a, a methane... Um, only sticks around in the atmosphere for about 10 years on average, whereas, as most people probably aware, you know, CO2 is, is you know, up there for, for sort of millennia. Um, and it, it's, you know, you can, it's kind of an irre- irreversible process, effectively, when we're digging up fossil fuels and burning them. Um, so that has some important um, consequences for uh, stabilising the climate. We have to, you know, we have to get to zero emissions of, of um, zero net emissions of CO2 and um, nitrous oxide is another similar, you know, it's also up for up in the atmosphere for hundreds of years. But methane actually, because it's a, it cycles on a, on a much shorter time scale, then we don't, um, you know, we, we can, if we stabilize the methane 
emissions, then that will also stabilize the temperature impact of those of those gases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the looking, yeah, um, for a lot of countries, developed countries, it doesn't really, the distinction doesn't matter that much because methane, agricultural methane is a relatively small component of emissions, but in New Zealand, it's pretty big. Mm. And we think it's um, it's important to to reflect that, um, that you know, the, the physics around that in yeah. um, our strategy. And um, so the, the two baskets approach in the Zero Carbon Act is about actually having um, sort of separate targets for the for um, methane and then the, the rest of the greenhouse gases, which are um, long-lived, and, you know, that's mostly CO2. Um, so, yeah, and, and we, we hope... politically that... that makes it more... Uh, um, approachable. I mean, what are what are the kind of political positions, and maybe we can kind of. Well, actually, one thing I do want to ask you before we kind of move into that is, what is the legal status of this of the act? Where is mm. it up to in terms of a, a process? Sure. So on that question, um, it's it's currently has no legal status um and although yeah, we're calling it you know the calling it the zero carbon act it's not an act yet it's um it's what we what we what we hope it will be an act eventually um so where we're at politically though um is that uh virtually every um, political party except for national who have been the 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 leading political party um for the last nine years have endorsed the concept of the Zero Carbon Act. So, mm-hmm. uh, and as I said, we've been working to try and get um, national on site as well. So we're, you know, we're hopeful that really what, whatever the makeup of the next government is, but, as, uh, you know, especially if it is, a, if it is led by Labour, um, then this will start moving forward um, pretty quickly. Uh, and, you know, we, we want to see it become law in the next term of government. Yes, right. Okay. Well, that's, thanks for outlining that. The other interesting thing for our listeners is that New Zealand runs a different type of um, or a different system of um, running elections and, and seeing who representatives are going to be. Um, can you talk to us a bit about how that system works and, and what the features of it are? Sure, yeah. So it's called MMP, um, Mixed Member Proportional, and um, basically people get two votes they vote for a party, and they vote for their local, oh, in their local electorate for for a candidate. And um, the party vote's really the most critical thing, and it and it works. It's um, works at a uh, a national level. So the overall, the total percent percentages of the party votes determine the number of seats that they get in parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the electorate seats. Uh, generally, the yeah, the one way that that can sort of affect the the result is if uh, a party, sorry, a candidate from a party wins an electorate seat, um, or they win more electorate seats than they would be entitled to from their party vote. Right. Um, so that creates well, that that basically adds people to parliament. So it's normally 120 MPs, but uh, if there, if we have that situation, which has been common in the last few years, then then that add, can add one or two MPs, right. um, creating an overhang, um, as it's called. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the thing is that the we have a there's a threshold of five percent for parties to actually 
of the party vote to get in. Right. Um, but if they win an electorate seat, then that threshold doesn't apply. So, so there's also a couple of deals made to, um, for with some very small parties to sort of throw them an electorate seat. Um, the major parties would sort of stand aside or tell voters to vote for for the ca- the candidate from from this other support party, um, so that they get into parliament, even though they're you know they've got less than one percent of the national vote. Yeah. Okay. So given all that. Mm. Um, Give us a rundown on where we stand currently, given that the election was on Saturday and there was no outright um, outcome as such, but that's not necessarily uncommon in New Zealand mm. elections. Yeah, that's right. So so it's all about forming a coalition. Um, the, there's, we, we had, we've had MNP since 1996, I think, and it's always that, you know, no party's ever ruled on their own. It's always a coalition. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Currently, we've got uh, yeah the previous coalition that's governed for the last nine years doesn't have the numbers anymore. That was national with a, cu- a few support parties. Now um, it all hinges on a party called New Zealand First, which mm-hmm. um, been around uh, for a while, haven't they? It, yeah, has existed for much much sure? longer than than um, you know Donald Trump started saying um, putting America first. So yeah. they um, yeah they're led by a very wily. Uh, Sort of charismatic politician called Winston Peters, who's um, quite yeah been a, a long <laughs> you could say. standing, yeah, um, <laughs> and been been around the political scene for, for decades now. Um, so they've got the balance of power, uh, but and um, we're we waiting still waiting on the special votes to be counted, which is about fifteen percent of the total. And I my pick is that after those are counted, it'll be. Um, very close between the the national will have 56 seats and Labour and the Greens, the two um, main left-wing parties, will have 54 um, between them. So, and then national, I'm sorry, New Zealand First um, has nine seats. So they're the the, um, king or queen maker. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the negotiations uh, are going to take a few weeks um, and we're going to have to wait for those advanced votes to come in. but, um, yeah, it's really going to come down to who New Zealand first decides to go with, and that's very up in the air because they have quite a grab bag of different policies on different issues. So yeah. uh, it's going to come down, come down to what they um, prioritise, I suppose. Mm. Paul, we're running out of time, but in terms of mm. the Zero Carbon Act, what would be the best outcome mm. in terms of that coalition to, to make this move forward? Um. If it, if it was a Labour Green New Zealand First coalition, then all those parties have backed it, so it will definitely be happening. Um, and you know, uh, but but we'll still be working to try and get national to support it, um, and that we don't want it to be a divisive um, thing. We want it to have cross-party support. So yeah, the other the alternative National New Zealand First, um, but yep, New Zealand First backs it, but uh, national so far hasn't. So we'd be having to work to change their mind on that. Okay. All right. Well, look, that's been it's been a great insight to see what's going on in New Zealand and the energy mix and um, attitudes. Um, as you mentioned, you know, there's um, the strong coal lobby um, in Australia and, and fossil fuels and and a lot of um, misinformation, and so we tend to get a little bit of climate scepticism. Is that, even though the agricultural sector is um, certainly very methane-intensive, are those mm. same sort of lobbying in terms of creating doubt and 
Uh, is that present in the same way that people experience from the, the coal lobby here? Um, thankfully, we've we've largely moved on from that. I mean, you still, you know, you still see the odd mm. piece in, in the media. Um, there's still certainly, you know, still a chunk of the population that that's in the denialist camp. But um, but largely, the, you know, the, the farming leaders. Um, we've, we've got there's an organisation called Federated Farmers who often um, speak for on behalf of the sector, and yeah, they've they've all. Um, you know, they accept the science. Well, there's a lot um, actually, and... you know, um, they've got a lot to be concerned about as well because in terms of, you know, everything that we know about climate, yeah. rainfall cycles, you know, people working on the land are almost more aware of those those cycles than, than any. So, you'd... Uh, Absolutely, yeah. This is, I guess, where it's very different to the the coal industry where um, mm. they they don't have any real reason to be concerned about the impacts but farmers absolutely do mm. um, and you know and yeah we've had um, yeah I mean drought, droughts and floods uh, have yeah. a, take a big um, whack on out of the um, you know the industry the the agricultural industry um, when, when they happen yeah yeah so um, so yeah that that's certainly they're, they're, I think they're um, you know, that's one of the key reasons why they were, um, they're more um, willing to accept the science on it and because they can see um, the changes that are happening. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah so, you know, and, and all the all the parties in Parliament um, with, well, possibly you know, the ACT Party, who's, who's just one, one MP um, at the moment, has, has had a bit of a... Um, uh, sort of flip-flopping position, but... but is, that, um, is that an acronym for something? What, what do they stand for? Uh, Association of Consumers and Taxpayers. So they're right. basically quite far-right libertarian um, politics. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but even even them, that you know, they don't outright dispute the, the science behind climate change anymore. So um, we're fortunate in that, in that regard. And uh, one really positive thing, actually, about the last year or so is that there's there's been a cross-party group of MPs established called um, Globe NZ uh, who have done some really important work on trying to um, oh, yes, yeah, get across the cross-party I think I read some of that report, dialogue. actually, um, and there was, mm. that was pretty thorough. Yeah, so they're, they're you know, discussing how we take the goals of the Paris Agreement and, you know, the need to get to zero net emissions in the second half of the century and um, sort of build a pathway there. And, um, you know, it's still in the, yeah, very much in the discussion phase of things and yet to get into sort of hard policy debate but um it's a, it's the probably the biggest um sign of hope in terms of climate politics in zealand that we've had for for um well since the whole time i've been working on the issue yeah no that um that was a fairly comprehensive report um so if anyone wants to look that up if you just google um i suppose globe new zealand um uh, net zero in new zealand scenarios to achieve domestic emissions neutrality in the second half of the century Mm. So, I mean, it's good to see that there is, like you say, that, um, you know, seemed like a fairly diverse um, political group that were following up on that. Fairly involved work by the looks of it. So that's a positive. I think, yeah, the lesson learned from the UK is there's not this... You know, uh, there's not a divide on political lines, which we need to get beyond if we're going to see genuine action and action that keeps flowing forward and isn't um, dependent on on election cycles. So, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I think you know parties parties will always disagree on the how, and they and mm. they should. It's good good to have a debate about um, how we're going to do it, and whether you know the balance between sort of state led and market led and business led solutions. But um, yeah, agreeing on the on the goals and mm. the need to actually um, decarbonize the economy is is critical. So we're we're sort of getting to that point now in New Zealand after after a frustrating few years of of um, yeah, of there just being sort of no, um, no real uh, dialogue between between the parties about it. Yeah. Okay. Great. So well, look, we really will get there sometime too. Yeah. Exactly. Well, look, we really appreciate your time today, Paul, and it's been great to get an insight into what's happening in the New Zealand um, context. So we appreciate that and um, look forward to. Uh, maybe having a quick chat with you when um, there's an outcome as to what the government is going to look like and um, what that might mean for this work going forward. But we appreciate your time today. So listeners, we've been listening to Paul Young from Generation Zero in New Zealand. Um, We've had the luxury today of an extended show because the Save Albert Park show is on a bit of a break Um, so we've been able to have a bit more music than normal which is um, just mixed things up a little bit which has been nice but I'll just get on with some BZE announcements. Um, We had a great launch of the Rethinking Cement report last Thursday and um, that's been really well received by the construction and infrastructure professionals so uh, you can go on to our website and have a look at that report as, as well as um, the numerous others that we've put out. But that was a, um, a great event launching that in Melbourne. Now, the other thing that I just wanted to bring to people's attention is that the Beyond Zero Emissions monthly discussion group happens at, on the first Monday of the month. So the next one is next Monday, the 2nd of October. And it is about uh, connecting new energy technologies to get more value from home energy systems. So if you want to go on the BZE website and look up events, you'll see all the details for that. Um, They're always very well attended and there's some great discussion and been some some really good information there. There's also a past archive of a number of um, previous discussion groups with um, video and audio that you can watch. So there's a you know, a great library of information covering a whole range of topics and, and I no doubt this one will be just as good. Um, so that is from 6.30 to 8pm Monday the 2nd of October at the Elizabeth Murdoch Theatre A, Spencer Road, University of Melbourne. So, But all the details are on our website so please take a look at that. Uh, also, obviously, all our radio podcasts are available on the website as well, or you can stream them from any of your streaming services. So I hope you've enjoyed our discussion today, um, looking a little bit more into what our close neighbours New Zealand are doing in terms of um, climate and energy. Um, as I mentioned um, to Paul, we might try to check back in with him once there is a government formed in New Zealand and and what that looks like. Um, but as he said, you know, it's important that these issues of um, action going forward on climate aren't based along political lines because they need to be bigger than that and um, just get on with doing some action. So I will um, 
sign off now for the Beyond Zero Emissions show, but I'll actually be on the radio with you a little bit longer and we're going to have um, a bit of music, so I hope that you stick around for that. But um, we'll sign off now from Beyond Zero Emissions show. Thanks very much for listening and talk to you next time. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions exports and industry, zero emissions transport, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions land use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention, BZE Radio.